Hello and welcome to 177 Nations of Tasmania. You may have seen images of the Maldives, perhaps on Instagram or in travel documentaries, and it's a fashionable destination with swimwear models and those notorious influences. And it's no wonder when you see tiny idyllic island atolls with glittering white sand and beautiful azure waters which go on for miles. But what about the life for ordinary people on this tiny island nation? And why would someone from such an island paradise with its balmy climate come to cold old Tasmania? Well, living on the Maldives does have its challenges. It's the flattest and most low-lying nation on Earth and subject to regular monsoons as well as rising sea levels. Many of the islands are small and scattered over a wide area, and the community was of course devastated by the tsunami in 2004. Now my guest for this episode is Hassan, with whom I will be discussing all these things. He was brought up in Mali, which is the densest capital city in the world, with 250,000 people squeezed onto one tiny atoll. So please join me to hear more about this insider's perspective of this unique little island nation. I was born in the capital of Maldives, Mali, 1975. I moved to Australia around 2005. That would be the last time. That would be the the move that, at the end, result a settling in Australia. I did come to do my bachelor's in 1997 and then back back home back then the the culture back home is i would say very different to the time it's around now when i go on holidays the biggest the biggest impact is in in the lifestyle mm-hmm. and obviously the advancement of technology has quite an influence on the social part of Maldives when you were growing up, what was it? What was it like there? What was what was sort of the environment? Well, the roads weren't paved, so it's in the capital would be just the sand, and you often have some potholes. I used to walk to school. Towards grade seven, I had a push bike, mm-hmm. so going to school, coming back was was is very different to now. If someone were to live. Obviously, more in Mali had more trees. It was a bit more greener, and eventually, uh, the capital city, I would say, had lost a lot of greenery. The islands, the old islands, uh, let's say, other islands, used to be a lot more greener than the capital, and I believe still some of the islands maintain their greenery, and most islands still have uh, sand sand-based roads and flip-flops is a common thing. Mm. Because the, the, if I understand rightly, the Maldives is mostly, mostly made up of uh, coral islands. Is that coral right? islands, yes. Yeah. The base is a coral, is coral. And hence you see the white sand. There would be, one would call it the sea erosions between the seasons because of the drifting in the current and how how that behaves and often 
you see some islands just have a piece of land disappears in one season and then mm. and it's there in the other season that's uh that's because in my uh, conversations with other people who've been brought up on fairly small islands they've sort of mentioned that the seasons are quite important to the life on the islands so that sounds like that's the case it is the case and it's um and and it's uh, and it's often the case when you have to travel by by sail i have i would call it i have been lucky enough to travel in a sailboat and it took me from male to go to my granddad's island over 24 hours and across very rough seas wow and that was both based on sail and a small mechanized engine and you would you'd really feel if the wind changed you you really have to find a reef to anchor down until the wind picked up if you don't have an engine mechanized engine so it is very very much seasonal dependent how travel is laid out and hence uh distribution of goods and other services to local atolls is quite quite reliant on the weather and the season so that travel for locals travel between the island is mostly by boat then mostly by boat and the the evolution of this i would call it let's say evolution that of boats is gone from sail boats to now speed boats and the last trip i went to maldives about 3 years ago had really surprised me because in my in my mind to go to a certain atoll would take this much of time and when i spoke to friends they went oh it's only a few hours we can be there for breakfast that would have taken the whole day on sea otherwise mm. so that puts a bit of perspective to how the country has the islands are accessible and the time around these the travels has shorten so much the most distant memory is the first house that i where mom and dad uh, we we all lived is a sort of a friend's place and it was in the back and it's a back end of a small a small school so you have to really walk through a side door all the way back to the school and we had our our little accommodation set up it had it was built with half well 80% coconut palm dry leaves roof tin we had few few trees around and i clearly remember passion fruit wine the bulb type and it's so nice i still clearly remember and that would have been i would have been very young i would say about Ah, uh, I said 6. My mom used still used to tell me when I described this she goes no no way you would remember that. I said no I still clearly remember that. The walk where the coconut palms and we used to run around and phone obviously mobile phones was not there at the beginning we didn't even have a TV. So it'll be if it's a school holiday it'll be just jumping around the trees basically trying mm-hmm. to see who could get from one tree to the other. swinging so that's that's how we grew up yeah and did you have a did you grow up in a big family um we stayed with uh with my mom and dad my younger brother 
my younger sister wasn't born so and and then my dad's brother lived with his wife no children and often my granddad used to visit so the way how Maldives is houses back then is laid out is you have the main house and your kitchen and your dining area is in an, in another small building okay so you, they don't mix and i think the main reason is back then they used to cook with wood fire and the houses were built with coconut palms okay so if something did happen you have this little kitchen which is fully detached and that could be built in a couple of days i reckon so this is the reason so we had those two little buildings uh not little but the kitchen area is little so the main house had um one two three rooms mom mm-hmm. and dad for me and my brother and uncle and his wife that's um that that would be our house and i remember the first time we got a tv i watched tintin's moon landing i still remember watching that okay <laughs> it was so fascinating yeah what did your family um live from my dad mom and dad dad worked for the government mm-hmm. my mom worked for un united nations okay. development program I believe she worked for 20 to 30 years before she retired so that would be our main income i think from what my experience is that and and what i've known from my grandparents is that back in their days the the families that lived in a small island would be very few and hence family and extended family to lend a hand is a big thing it's a very big thing and the fact that children look after their parents at their old age is almost hand in hand it just goes through generation after generation after generation yeah and, and to me as well it's it's no different if i had to look after my parents it, it would i would never be burdened it would be like you know it's part of me part of us yeah that's how we've been grow we we've grown up generation after generation after generation i think that that sort of you would almost see no child care services <laughs> Yeah. In Maldives, I have not come across yet, but maybe there is, but it's I have not come across. So, that's how the lifestyle of extended families have come together and often you find that in the islands when they go fishing, some families own fishing boats mm-hmm. and on the bo- on the boat they have their granddad, their dad and the kids would all go fishing. Uh-huh. that's how how that that have come in and there be other guys from other families neighbors neighbors who are willing to jump on the ship who takes a bit of share this is way back and if you think about it extended family in a situation like that is very important yeah and it each and everyone had to look after the others the neighbors and, and back in like in the days that uh, I've also experienced islands with no electricity so had the oil lamps on and almost the sundown you hardly see anyone on the streets so I've I've been lucky enough to experience that and it's it's a very different feeling to the modern male yeah 
Yeah, it's I'd call it a bit noisy, and everything moves. Everything moves fast in their own little reference frame. Things needs to be done on time. Things has to be. There's a lot packed in for a day yeah. to earn a living, so that you could provide to your family. Obviously, the technology has skyrocketed. Everyone's got phones. Everyone's got well, all, let's say all the technology they need. If I were to cast my mind back to when the time of the islands without electricity and those times with, when the sun goes down, you come back home and you stay home and you just—it's the family time. Obviously, I got this during my school holidays when we used to travel down to grandparents' islands and. You know, just it'll be the trip back away from Male, Capital Island. So that that that's a that's I'd call that a very fond and very memorable piece of memory that I'd like to keep always. Because yeah, yeah, because I guess in those kind of in that kind of situation, you're very dependent on the other people on the island. Absolutely. And that creates, I guess, that's the kind of, that creates a sense of community. And responsibility absolutely and if someone falls sick they all will come together and find they generally have one health center in every atoll so they all come together and try to get the patient to a health center as quickly as possible they, they I've, I've always noticed back in those days most people work together as a as a family mm-hmm. in their no, own neighborhood so it's 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 all like I said before, it's each and everyone looking after each and everyone. Say up till 10, 11, 12, I used to go and catch fish with friends, and I just love fishing, mm-hmm. swimming, fair bit of that. And when I was around 14, so maybe 13, 14, 15, 16, I did. I did go to Europe with mm-hmm. my dad. He he had a scholarship to do his PhD, so he took the family. So that was away from home, yeah. and then came back and finished off my high school. Got into windsurfing, fair bit of it. it just kind of, I think, gets crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I still do it here in Tessie. Okay. Last Sunday I had a, had a run. So. Yes, a lot of sea water related sports I, I quite love to yep. do. So that's why. And did you uh, also go, you went to school in Malay as yep. well? Yeah. Yes. If, you, if I had to make a comparison to this age, this it would be far less students in mm-hmm. when I was there. And it the, the school had two sessions, a morning session and an evening session because they had to manage quite a lot of kids and the school they want too many schools so in some years you are morning session other years you're an evening session afternoon session finish towards the evening because Maldives is on the equator your day and night are roughly equal mm-hmm. so you can really plan for the year unlike let's say Tezzy we have a daylight saving vastly different most of our teachers, I remember, came from our neighboring countries, Sri Lanka and India. And they, they played a major role back then, those teachers who, who, who laid a foundation on, for me and 
in from my dad's age from my granddad's age and up to you know they're still there quite a few of them so i i i i would say they played a major role and the type of teaching is would be what they have taught basically but more recently uh, once we once we get an understanding of you know how the types of teaching and how things are done that would i think people call it spoon feeding type of teaching uh-huh. yeah but that's all we had yeah and and for myself after going through a bit of after going through that sort of teaching i came to australia and i had to do a different type of studying was very i found it really difficult transition yeah. my first first degree so yeah. that that was a bit of a shock actually but what do you think was the thing that influenced you the most in your sort of growing up in the Maldives I think the person who I am today is because of my parents and everything that I have learned and gained knowledge in what life is all about is from my parents mm-hmm. and try to teach them and pass them on to my kids as well and my grandparents too but mostly my parents It's living away that I've never predicted or even assumed that I would be living in Tizi 20 years ago when like 25 years ago let's say wouldn't I wouldn't have even imagined that I'd be here living away from parents but taking little steps at a time here we are in Tizi mm-hmm. and the coldest place in Australia so <laughs> still going okay <laughs> but what what do you think was the biggest thing that you've learned from your parents or what 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 sort of is i think it is uh, honestly living live within your means mm-hmm. i apply that to any 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 situation i'd say if i had to make a decision if i had to buy something if i had to do something just try to live within our means and always always keep in mind that if you had to take a step back to fall back to a state where you might let's say financially be a little low always be prepared yeah because it's it's not always i i don't believe everything is always increasing there's always ups and lows and ups and lows that's very practical sounds like your parents were very practical well hardship of li- living it was very i i know it's it was was very hard for when i was growing up back in the days in maldives it it was it's not an easy thing um no medical insurance not none of that yeah so if tomorrow came then you're grateful if you live for to see another day sort of thing yeah well I, I, when i was reading a little bit about the recent history of the maldives i noticed that that, that there were a number of um there's been quite a few disruptions especially sort of in the 1980s and then you had the tsunami about 10 years ago well that thing. was that was very 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 difficult yeah. you know it was in fact my my wife was one of them who went to do the surveys on behalf of the government and to just take accounts for who's who you know who's alive and yeah. what's the status of the islands and she's still I would say put her into tears if you if you ask her what was it like so it Maldives has gone through in that space 
it was a very big hit tsunami was a very big hit as I can quickly tell you a very short story um, my late wife's uncle lived in Mimo et al uh, so we went on a holiday from Australia and took a couple of Australian friends and we stayed in one of the houses built by Australian donations and had mm -hmm. the flag on so mm -hmm. I paid rent for the owners to stay there because they were still you know trying to build their life so I was very happy to see our donations come to action mm. so it had Australian donations a little board plaque on the on the side of the wall it was one two three bedroom house with two bathrooms a kitchen just very lively so the uncle of my late wife took me to his house that was barely standing and he pointed out and he said Asan see that watermark it was like about three inches below the ceiling mm. that's how high the water was in this mm. room and I had my jaw dropped and my mate whose name's Chris he saw that too and he said he he, he cried straight after that and I said why what happened he said his newborn was in his hand when the water came through the door and he could not get out his toddler was on his other hand mm. so they all pushed really back into the room because the wave was so huge and he was just hit the ceiling in within like very quickly so they were all trying to survive so mm. imagine you had your little newborn in your arms and holding a toddler mm. so when the water subsided he only had the bit of wrapping and the baby had passed away behind a cupboard oh, yeah. so I mean I didn't want to bring it up in, in an interview like this but that's the sort of yep. intensity that people have and the stories that came out but I was and I still am so glad to see our donations actually had done something in a small country yeah and it's like you know we paid rent because we wanted to support them yeah no matter what so they they gave us food and all that but we definitely gave enough rent so that that's hard actually that's a bit of that's a story that I'll never forget yeah well people when they sort of think of the Maldives they just see pictures of this sort of island paradise white sandy beaches but it's also can be very fragile very fragile well and and, and um, exposed to the elements and disasters I guess and even last week there was a bit of a monsoon can't, I can't remember what monsoon this is but there are monsoons you get wind wind rain okay. rain all those combinations and and very still too and sunny and still conditions they had a lot of rain came down and spoke to my parents last night and it's still very rough so water had come on through the wave breaks and quite a lot of islands have been flooded so if you imagine that low lying you know you only need a few meters of waves to yeah. actually bump onto the island yeah and that's it and i guess in the old days even more islands could be cut off i suppose for ex extended, extended amount of time yeah. yeah and it it has happened and it this is 
the, the sea is so rough that even even the coast guards that we have they, they it's very difficult for them to travel almost impossible that's it, it's that rough so they have to if they had to go on emergencies they have to wait for the fronts to ease and travel before the next front comes in sort of have to manage it how did you end up leaving the Maldives? What I mean, like, did you ever imagine when you were younger? Did you imagine that your life would lead? No, outside? Yeah. I could say that in a heartbeat. No, <laughs> not a bit. And in, when I grew up around, I would say around nine, ten years of age, I would see all these movies, and I wondered how people drove in those traffic conditions. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, because we hardly see a car. A taxi would be something you'd get not even get on once a year so it's that few mm. and I still remember one night just watching one of the movies and it's like so many cars and people drive so fast and I was just got no way I'm going to drive so moving on I got a scholarship from Maldives to do my bachelor came and did my my degree four years honors and then went back home to serve my, uh, sorry, what what field was your bachelor's? Um, electrical engineering okay. honors, and I remember the very first first night, first evening landing at Sydney Airport, and I thought, "Wow, these cars go fast," because mm. our maximum speed back then would be thirty five, thirty. Right, and that can guarantee you no one drives at 30 or road here. (laughs) (laughs) You would be pulled off because you're obstructing traffic. So I I used to look at the traffic in Sydney and the highway, I would go like, no way I would be driving. This is too much for me. So during undergraduate four years, I didn't drive, I didn't have a car, finished, completed my degrees and went home, served pay my dues for the country and I thought I might do my master's on my own master's research so well first year of undergraduate I came by myself and then went back home got married brought my wife so I had my wife with me through okay through the studies so we both went back home I served my dues and had my first born Eisen in the Maldives and I came for my master's by myself Towards the end of masters, I sort of studied and worked, and you know, did kind of a bit of three bit of work to keep myself going. So I was tutoring for undergraduate students. I did a bit of electrical compliance testing for office equipment. Okay. And I taught physics and maths for exceptionally. They call it students who want to do extra in high school and college sort of high school slash college students that was a Sunday job so I used to have my push bike and do a bit of riding around and you know give you a bit keep you occupied a bit yeah so my wife came with Eisen my firstborn towards the end of my master's and got a scholarship to do my doctoral degree in both Wollongong and Tasmania Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd give it a bit of a change. So I accepted yeah. Utah's scholarship. As I accepted, my wife was due for my first daughter. She was born in Wollongong. So mm-hmm. I have now 
a Maldivian born, a Wollongong born. <laughs> so I took my PhD scholarship and came, moved my family to Tasmania ever since we loved it. And Aizen and Shaha born, grew up. And then I had my third one and kids decided that they want to be here. And my wife goes, well, kids want it and I, I like it here. So mm-hmm. I said, no, I don't mind. So when, so they wanted to live here. So that's how I ended up moving to Tassie, you could call it. Yeah, so we, the little one was born in hospital up the road, you could call it. Yeah. Royal Hobart. So I have a Maldivian, Wollongong and a Tassie. Ah, mixed family. <laughs> a mixed family. <laughs> And what were your sort of first impressions of Tasmania? Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... In Wollongong, when I got the scholarship, when I accepted the scholarship, a lot of friends have said, Tasmania, why Tasmania? You know, mm. it's it's not even part of the mainland. And I was like, what's wrong with Tasmania? I've, you know, I, I've never been here then. I just thought, no, I'll just give it a change. I like Tasmania, I love Tasmania, and it sort of makes me feel like this is an island for me. Yeah. And I think the mainland, as one would call it, it's just too big for me, and things move too fast and too hectic. And if I, and when I take my kids to visit my brother or my sister, and they're always, they're happy for the first 24 hours, but then things start moving too fast for them. Right. I want not to come back. <laughs> and the biggest common relation that I'd find the island, Maldives in the island in the back in the days and to Tasmania since I came is in Male. Let's take let's talk about capitals first. In Mali, when you have a property, you build your walls first around before mm-hmm. you put, in other words, you mark your property with a wall and then you build your house. I noticed this in mainland too. You put the fence first and then you build the house. In the islands, you don't even know where your fence is, yeah. your, your landline is. Back in the days, you put, put your house on, put your kitchen, little kitchen, detached kitchen on, your your toilet bathroom has a is a well sort of you know back in so i remember the times when you we used to travel back in the days there's no neighbor boundary fence you wouldn't even know okay it'll be that it'll be that open and i often when i moved to tesi you go about you travel about two hours from hobart you see a lot of land with no harsh property boundaries you know there might Mm. be a a wire fence and half down and you just neighbors are so neighborly mm. same thing so you came here to study though at first but you mentioned that you, you had still haven't finished your phd no i had to move on and start a life so i work for entura that is hydro tasmania's consultation arm and that helped me come through, get buy a house, you know, put food on food on the table for kids, give provide them, and who knows in the future, yeah. <laughs> might write a few papers around. I'd, I'd like to do a bit of research on and off, and the work I do, I quite love to love it too. Yeah. So what does what does your just generally what does your work involve? My work is, 
uh, roughly 70 to 80 percent desk work 30 to 20 percent field work desk work includes modeling mostly modeling modeling work modeling synchronous machines and what would you call it controls for those machine that, that kind of machines hydro machine modeling and okay. testing would be testing of those models on field for the clients mostly tasmanian stations been fair bit of stations in tasmania from west coast to muscle row wind farm to midlands yeah. Yeah. i have been to few other stations in mainland and to cook island another island nation um, did their power system study for renewable energy okay. systems integration uh, few few stations in mainland from Kangaroo Valley, West Kiva, Ron Gordon to Alice Springs Station. Every time we go back, not for the first time, but every time we go back, we generally go back four to five years gaps because mm -hmm. of a family and you know, it just needs a bit of saving to get back, travel. We see a step change in, in Maldives. The step change is, I would say, is getting larger as we go through and populations increasing social aspects mostly changing very fast everyone's on phones and I, I feel more tension basically okay with my friends and everyone seems to be a little tense all the time it's my feeling is that uh, and that but that's because the country has changed rather than you've you've changed you think uh maybe a bit of both yeah seen seen australia live in australia and going to maldives obviously Mali is, is a very dense island and that sort of density influences how behavioral let's say behaviors how people live how people manage time if they could ever manage time because there's so much going on in 24 hours yeah people don't sleep often till 11, 12, yeah. and activities gone, streets quiet down, sitting around. I might be wrong, but my last trip, activities quiet down around 1, 1 1.30, and back on back they start again around 6. Yeah. So there's a very, very short amount of quiet time where one could just, just sit back and run through your head what was being done and what's to be planned for the next day there's very small amount of time that you could actually plan your plan your activities for the next day i, I feel that's important but lacks behind in Mali. and well talking about generation you know generational uh lessons i suppose yeah. well you've you've got a few kids so mm -hmm. is there anything like are there aspects of Maldivian culture that you would like them to like keep or to pass on to oh, them oh yes absolutely i would if i can i would pass every bit of culture to them because they're both Maldivian and australian but it is a it is a tough call <laughs> it's living here and not having many Maldivians around yeah it, it is a tough call. I would really love if they could speak fluently in Maldivian language, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's number one. Number two is if they could truly get the feeling of 
how Maldives, how live livelihood in Maldives is mm-hmm. to live there, to feel the air, to smell the air, you know, all that, how people live, and that knowledge. If if they can acquire them, that would I would really love that. Food, okay, they love the Maldivian food. They love <laughs> the Tezi food. From my little one loves her Vegemite. She puts a lot of Vegemite on her toast. Okay, <laughs> trust me, I would. I don't think I could eat that much Vegemite, but she loves it. So yeah. both cultures, uh, I'd love them to learn equally and know that, you know, eventually we are evolving towards maybe perhaps countries or regions without borders. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. it's trending. That's what my thinking is. <laughs>